uh, Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. I don't know if um, we're going to stay here. I, I actually have a message planned, but I really feel like the Lord is trying to speak something to me, and that's kind of why I'm acting a little off. <laughs> is I, I'm trying to hear what the Lord is speaking to me, and I'm, I'm not getting it together. So I'm going to go out on a limb, and I'm just going to follow this, and if it goes for five minutes or 50 minutes, praise God. So let's, let's just go to Romans chapter 8, and we'll start in verse, verse 15. But before we do that, let's pray. Lord, I feel like you're speaking something to me, and I'm hearing part of it, but I'm struggling to, to get what you're wanting to say. And so, Lord, I'm just asking that, that this message, that you would, you'd speak through me, and <laughs> that you wouldn't let me bomb. <laughs> uh, I'm walking in faith on this one, not by sight, because I don't see the end destination. So, Lord, I just pray that whatever comes out of this, Lord, I pray that it's a blessing and that it's specifically for someone in this church. If everybody else thinks I'm a lunatic, fine. As long as that one person gets what they need. (laughs) If we're fools, it's for Christ's sake. So, Lord, I guess this morning I'm going to be a fool for your sake. Just let these words be yours. In Jesus' name, amen. So, <laughs> as the song was playing, well, actually, before I changed the, the script and played a different song, God started speaking something. And I don't know, have you guys ever, have you guys ever seen like the old transistor radios? You guys have. You guys have. If I asked a different group, maybe not, but, but you guys have. <laughs> you know. <laughs> anyway, I'm fired. Hey. Um, but you know, you remember, listen, one of my favorite shows, my wife and I, we watch Diagnosis Murder a lot. Everybody watch Diagnosis Murder? Uh, the Dick Van Dyke. That's a great show. Listen, it's a great show. But there's an episode where they're trying so the lady, Amanda, she's engaged to this guy in the military, but they get married. And so then the, she, after they get married, she's going to have a baby. We'll come to find out that when they got married in Las Vegas, they got married at a place that wasn't actually a licensed chapel. So their marriage really didn't count. And she's freaking out about to have this baby, and he's overseas. And so... What they do is they try to hook up, because he's on like a, a, a battleship, and so they hook up these radios, and they try to get married over the radio. And, they, and the whole time, the, the reason I bring this up is because they got that transistor radio, and it's like static, and you turn the dial just a little bit, and then you get the voice, and then it goes back to static, so you have to adjust the dial a little bit. You guys know what I'm talking about? Well, it's like God's been speaking to me this morning, but it's like that. It's like I'm starting to hear, and then it's static, and then I'm trying to like, okay, Lord. And it's not always like that. I don't don't know, but he's speaking something to me, and finally I get like one sentence. And I'm like, Lord, I can't preach preach a sermon off of one sentence. Like, you've got to give me more than that. And then it just went flat. So I don't know. This is is a journey. You're going (laughs) to... Welcome to the welcome to the the party. I don't know, but let's read and let's just see what God does, okay? Because, like I said, I'd rather fall flat on my face trying to go in faith than to go with the program and what's planned and trudge through that mess. All right, verse fifteen: For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption. Whereby we cry, Abba, Father. 
The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who has subjected the same in hope, because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now, and not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, to wit, the redemption of the body. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that which we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Likewise, the Spirit also helps our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God and to them that are called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who could be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again. Who is even at the right hand of God, who maketh intercession for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I guarantee you across the world right now, there's not a better sermon preached than that right there. Not even close. Not even close. Those are some of the most beautiful words that are ever written. And I'm going to just share with you guys what the Lord was speaking to me as I was trying to figure out what he was wanting to say. So I'm not going to like build up to this crescendo because I don't have what the build up is. So I'm just going to start with the crescendo, I guess. But the Lord was speaking to me and was reminding me of something that I heard a long, long time ago. And I think I may have preached it way back then. But do you know what gives something value? Do you know what gives something value? I mean, where do we get the thing that like, hey, this, this coin is worth thousands of dollars? Or this jar <laughs> that because it's 3,000 years old is now worth 500 grand? Or because a guy named Picasso threw some paint at a canvas and happened to hit, because, I mean, if you've ever seen a Picasso, I... I, I don't know. But anyway, I mean, it just happened to hit, and he has his name on it, so it's worth millions of dollars. Like if, what gives something that kind of value? What you're willing to pay for it. That's exactly right. What you're willing to pay for it. That's what gives something value. I mean, listen, that whole statement, one man's trash is another man's treasure, like, that's true. Like, what somebody is willing to pay for something is what gives it value. I mean... Listen, gold is pretty, but gold is pretty much just the same as any other metal or any other stone. Like, it, you can't eat it. You can't eat a diamond. 
but we're willing but they're they cost thousands and thousands of dollars because people have said hey that is worth it so that they can walk around with a pretty ring on their finger or pretty earrings like so what gives something value is what somebody's willing to pay for it now flip that over and to us what gives us value what someone was willing to pay right what someone was willing to pay God gave us everything he paid the highest price what is more valuable than God I mean, serious, that's a serious question. What's more valuable than God? Nothing. I mean, it's God. He can make anything. Everything that is, has, has ever been owes its existence to God. He made it. So he can just make it again. So nothing has a higher value than God. Nothing. But he gave himself for us. He gave himself for us. So he gave the most valuable thing for us. That's why Paul says we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. What's more than a conqueror? The prize worth fighting for. That piece of land that armies go together and battle for and people die for. I mean, if you're willing to die for something, then you're saying that that thing is worth your life. Or it's worth more than your life. That's why people die for their country. Because they're esteeming the ideas and the principle of their country as greater value than themselves. That's why someone will give their life for their family. Because they esteem their family as being more valuable than them. And God took upon flesh and came and was born of a virgin the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, he was born of a virgin. And he came and he lived and he sacrificed his life for us. He paid the ultimate price. And the reason that I'm even saying this is because I feel like we often forget how valuable we are. Listen, let me, don't get it twisted. You're not valuable outside of God. You're damaged goods outside of God. You were created and then there was the sin and the transgression and the fall which perverted the creation. So now you are a f less than version of what you were intended to be. You're one of those defected products. One of those products that they sell for like 80% off because it's got the sewing or the stitching off or it's got a stain on it or or whatever you know what i'm talking about you guys shop enough <laughs> you know you know what i'm talking about <laughs> listen i shop for i shop for bibles all the time and at all the premium bible stores they'll have like this section of imperfects that's what they call them imperfects and it's something where there's a small stitching off or there was a print issue and they can't sell them at full price because that would be bad on their company name. So they sell them as imperfects and they're like 40, 50, sometimes, you know, 60, 70 percent off of the cover price because they're not perfect. They're not good quality. That's what we are. We're imperfects. But God came Jesus came. That's what this whole series has been about. It's been about the person and work of Jesus. What Jesus accomplished through his life and death and resurrection. What he did for us. He came and he took that which was imperfect. And through taking our sin and our mess on himself. And taking it to the cross and nailing it to the tree. And then imputing his righteousness and his worth and his merit to us. We which were imperfect can now have the opportunity to become perfect in Christ Jesus. So he took something that had no value and he gave it infinite value and now we in Christ Jesus are of infinite value because God paid for us because God loves us listen I know when, when you were how many of you guys went to um, like children's church when you were a kid raise your hand when you were a kid did you go to like children's church 
my goodness, a lot of you guys missed out. <laughs> but you guys remember singing, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong, they are weak, but he is strong. And you know that song? Yeah, we should still sing that in adult church. We should. Because the whole time you're in children's church, like, the message is Jesus loves you, Jesus loves you, Jesus loves you, Jesus loves you, God loves you. And then you go and you transition to adult church, and now it's like, hey, God, God's mad at you. God wants you to do this. God wants you to do that. You're not good enough. Repent. Change. And there's truth to those things. I'm not saying that works aren't important. I'm not saying that lifestyle isn't important. But what we fail to remember is that this whole shebang, this whole shindig, started because God loved us. And just an FYI, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If he loved me then, he loves me now, and he'll love me forever. Throughout all eternity. Everybody just say this with me. Say, God loves me. Do you believe it? Listen, I hate it, but like, I, I, I hate it when, you know, we talk and we're like, if we say, you know, God loves you or Jesus loves you, like, it, it, does, does anyone, it hits you in kind of a funny way because you're like, well, that's, that's simple stuff. And I'm like, what? You know, you know what I'm talking about? If somebody like stands up and they preach a message on John 3.16 and they preach, you know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him should not perish but have eternal life. If like somebody preaches that, it's like, well, that's, that's like the milk of the word. That's baby stuff. Like, that's, that's beginner stuff. And I'm like, that's the foundation. That's the deepest portion. You can't go any deeper than that. But we get so off on, like, wanting more revelatory stuff that we forget. God loves you. And so this whole thing, I'm trying. I don't know who it's for, but I feel it churning in my heart. Like, you need to be reminded that God loves you. God is not mad at you. God does not hate you. God is not holding a grudge against you. Love does not take into account wrongs suffered. God, Jesus has paid the slate. Look, you know the Bible, it says, show them their sin. The Bible says that, doesn't it? It says, make Israel aware of their sin. Show them their sin. You know where your sin's at? If you're in Christ, you know where your sin's at? It's still on a tree. Because it was nailed there. And if your sin is on the tree, it can't be on me. Right? If Jesus paid for your sin, then God can't be mad at you for the sin that's already been paid for. He paid the price to have a relationship with you because He loves you because he loves you and we are supposed to have the mind of christ jesus aren't we that's in philippians 2 have this mind in you which was also in christ jesus he's talking about humility but the principle is we are to share and to partake in that mindset of christ we're supposed to partake in that mind of christ and we don't do a great job loving one another, do we? No, we don't. Because love is sacrificial. Love is exalting someone else above yourself. That's why he says, you know, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. He starts with a debasing of self and an exalting of others. Not saying, oh, everybody's so much better than me. But thinking about them more than you think about yourself. That's love. And we don't do a good job loving one another. And you know what that does? That puts us at odds with the mind of God. That puts us at odds with the mind of God. If God's telling us that I love you and I love them, and then we don't love them like God loves them, we're in disagreement with God. 
That's why John says in his epistle, he says, how can you love God whom you have not seen and hate your brother or sister that you have seen? How can we have all of this stuff and hold all this animosity and hatred towards one another? You know what I was going to preach on this morning? What I was going to preach on this morning was the judgment at Caiaphas' house. And I was going to preach on, and heck, maybe I will. Maybe we'll just flow right into that. But the judgment at Caiaphas' house, the arrest of Jesus. When Jesus is in Gethsemane and he goes off to pray. You remember that two weeks ago we talked about that? And after he prays, or before he prays, Peter says, Hey, if everybody else denies you, I won't deny you. I've, I've got you, Jesus. And Jesus says, yeah, before the cock crows three times, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter says, you got it wrong. I, I will never deny you. And then they go to the garden, and you have the 11, and Judas has went off to sell Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. But you got the 11, and Jesus takes Peter, James, and John a little bit further in, and then he goes a little bit further, and he prays, and then they fall asleep, and he wakes them up, and he says, can you not even tarry with me one hour, Peter? How are you going to go with me to the death when you can't even pray for an hour? And then he goes and prays again, and he comes back, and then he goes and prays again, and the third time they're still asleep, and he says, hey, it's good. It's enough. Get up. The guy that betray is, pray is betraying me is at hand. Let's, let's get going. And he gets up. And then guess what happens? Judas comes up and he betrays Jesus. And then they go to Caiaphas' house. And then at Caiaphas' house, you have all these people that are trying to testify against Jesus. And it says they can't find anybody. What it means is they can't find anybody that agrees. Like, they have all these different lies about Jesus, but none of them agree. And Hebrew law says you have to have two agreeing testimonies to convict someone. And so they can't find any until finally two guys say, he said that he destroyed the temple and rebuilt it in three days. And then Caiaphas freaks out and he's like, are you the Christ? And he says, I am. And you'll see me coming in the clouds with power. And then it moves from there into Peter's denials, Right? He gets called out. He says, I don't know what you're talking about. He gets called out again. He says, with an oath, I don't know the man. And then he gets called out again, and he starts cussing and cursing and taking all this stuff on himself. And then he sees and locks eyes with Jesus. And then he runs out weeping bitterly. That, that's what happens in that arrest and Peter's denial. And you're like, well, what does this have to do with God's love? Just this. That entire section of Scripture is about one word, witness. It's about witness. Witnessing to who Jesus is that's what we're responsible for we're supposed to witness to who Jesus is you as a Christian are a disciple of Jesus Christ a disciple is someone that takes on the teaching of their master of their teacher and then communicates the teaching of their master to the world which is a representation or an image of who their teacher is that's why you're called an ambassador in Christ an ambassador is someone that takes the policies of a nation to a foreign nation to show what the nation represents. That's why you're called a witness. That's why you're sent on the Great Commission to make disciples. The, the list goes on. Your job as a Christian is to be a witness. You're supposed to be the light and the salt of the world. And it's why he says, does anyone take a light and after he has lit it, put it under a basket? He's like, no, he sets it up in a place so it gives light to all the house. It's, you know, if salt has lost its savor, where is it good for? It's good for nothing but to be cast out and trodden underfoot. Like, you're supposed to be the flavor and the light of the world. You're supposed to represent who Jesus is. And when we forget the love of God, when we forget the love of Jesus, and we forget that Jesus loves them just as much as he loves me, we are failing in our witness. In that whole passage, the arrest and Caiaphas' house and Peter's denial, do you know that there wasn't just one betrayal of Jesus? There wasn't. We have Judas's betrayal. He sold Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver and betrayed Jesus with a kiss. And you also have Peter embodying this with his denials, and I'll get into that in a second. But you have another betrayal. Peter comes and betrays Jesus with a sword. And we've got two groups of people. We've got people betraying Jesus with a kiss and people betraying Jesus with a sword. And we do both of those. And it's like this. 
Which one should we start with? I don't know. Let's start with a kiss. Betraying Jesus with a kiss. Judas sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. He put a price tag on Jesus. Well, 30 pieces of silver is worth more than Jesus' life. Because that's when you sell something, you're saying that money's worth more than what you're selling. So 30 pieces of silver, he's worth more than Jesus' life. That's a pretty cheap price tag on the Son of God. But, hey, we do it. We do it. God calls us to pray. Oh, Tennessee balls are playing. <laughs> I, I, I'm not telling you to do anything I haven't done. God calls us to wake up and read our word. Oh, Lord, I've got to get up at 6, and it's already 5. <laughs> that hour of sleep is worth more than the presence of God. Don't stare at me awkwardly. You guys have done this too. <laughs> What have, you sold, what have you sold Jesus out for? And this isn't a condemning message. It's just a point-blank truth. We, in our fallen nature, in our humanity, we sell Jesus out all the time. And what we do is we betray him with a kiss. We're like embracing him over on this hand and trying to embrace the world on this hand. Or what we want. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. That's what James tells us. Friendship with the world is enmity with God. But that's what we do. We, we try to embrace Jesus with a kiss. Oh, but it gets worse. It gets worse. See, that's just the, the cover value. But if you go the, further in this, when people say, hey, you know what Christianity is? Christianity is you being happy, healthy, and wealthy. That's betraying Jesus with a kiss. It is. Because nowhere in my Bible does it tell me that I'm going to be rich. I can be. God can bless my finances. And I can, I can make money out the wazoo and give it out. And God gives more and bless me to be a blessing. But that, doesn't, that isn't the standard. That isn't what has to happen. And let me touch on one that we as Pentecostals, we struggle with. I struggle with this one. It's a healthy one. How many of you guys have followed Jesus for more than 20 years? How many of you in that 20 years have struggled with a sickness? How many of you have seen instant deliverance every time you've prayed? How many of you are still battling a sickness and still haven't seen the deliverance? Not asking if you don't believe for it. I'm asking if you haven't seen the manifestation of it yet. I don't understand that. I don't understand. I've went and I've preached in revivals and I've preached in churches and I have seen miraculous healings. And I've heard testimony and I've seen people healed. But I don't understand and I still to this day don't get it. If I have 12 people in a line, eight of them can get healed and the other four don't. And I still don't understand it. I still don't understand it. And I, we make all the excuses in the world for it. It's my lack of faith. It's their lack of faith. It's someone in the congregation's lack of faith. It's sin in their life. It's, and we make all the excuses in the world. But what about the discretion of God? I mean, we don't... The point is, is you know what's promised to Christians? You know what's promised to Christians? What's actually in there promised to Christians? Suffering. Persecution. Hardship. Difficulty, pain. <laughs> Paul tells the Philippians, he says, hey, those, that conflict that you've seen and heard in me, <laughs> God has appointed to be in you. He's saying, you've been appointed not just to believe on Christ, but to suffer for his sake. Paul tells Timothy, he says, hey, everyone that lives godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And the church in all seriousness we've lost our theology of suffering and i'm not one of those people that's like oh christianity suffer but it's a important part of our theology like it should be i mean the bible talks a lot about suffering it talks a lot about hardship that the trying of your faith may be much more precious than silver and gold that perisheth and that's why paul's writing here in a chapter maybe one of the greatest chapters on love ever written Romans 8, 1 Corinthians 13, maybe, and John, 1 John 4, maybe some of the greatest words on love ever written. And in that same chapter, he says, I'm confident that these afflictions aren't even worthy to be compared with the glory we shall receive after. So why is afflictions coming up when it's talking about God's love? 
Because it's necessary. It's a part of it. It's a part of it. But we like to betray Jesus with a kiss. And we like to say, no, we want as many people to pray the prayer as possible. Because that's what fills the seats. That's what keeps the bank account and the budget where it needs to be. <laughs> Budgets, butts, and bucks. That's what, that's, what we, that's what we like to talk about. You know, preaching easy gospel. Look, I took the cross down, but I took it down because we're going to put something else up here. I just don't know what yet. I've got some ideas. I didn't take it down for the reason some people take it down. Some people take the cross down in church because it's an ugly instrument of death and it implies blood. Some people won't talk about sin. Some people won't talk about repentance. Some people won't talk about that because that's not what people want to hear. I remember the birth of the seeker-friendly movement when they would go out and they would take these surveys um, and demographics and say, Hey, why don't you go to church? Okay, if church, what, what would church have to happen for you to come? And they, and they would take lists, shorter sermons, no talking about sin, no talking about blood, no talking about repentance. And then they would take these surveys and they would build the church in response to the surveys so that people would come. And what you had happen was you had people that would preach 15 to 20 minutes on nothing. Half the time it wouldn't even be the Bible. And then they would have like the game shows and the skits and all that stuff so that people would be lulled to sleep they were a part of the church and they were a christian but they were betraying jesus with a kiss and so when people say christianity is easy i'm like no it's not the gospel is good news it's not easy news and you're probably automatically you hear me say that and you're like well jesus says all you who are weary laden come unto me you know and i will give you rest for my yoke is easy and my burden is light and he says see there his yoke is easy what that means is he's talking about his teaching it's easy to understand as opposed to the 613 jewish laws but that doesn't mean that it's easy to carry out it doesn't mean that it's easy to endure it doesn't mean that it's easy to walk through the gospel is difficult G.K. Chesterton, one of my heroes in the faith, he was a Catholic. He had some stuff he needed to work out. But one of my heroes in the faith, he said this. He said, Christianity hasn't been tried in the balances and found wanting. Christianity has been weighed in the balances, found difficult, and left untried. Because it is. It's difficult. It is difficult because we're not just praying a prayer. That's why people come up here and they bow at the altar and they pray a prayer once in their life and they get up and no one says anything about change, no one says anything about discipleship, no one says anything about transformation, no one says anything about surrendering your life to Jesus Christ and they get up and they go off the same way that they came but because they prayed a prayer now, that they, be now they believe that they're a Christian. And the truth is, is that they're not. They're not. They're betraying Jesus with a kiss. And this sounds like an odd direction to go when I started this off with Jesus loves you. But Jesus loves you enough to tell you the truth. And I love you enough to tell you the truth. Christianity is not easy. The gospel isn't easy news. It's good news, but it's not easy news. And so when people will stand over here and say, you don't have to do anything. You don't have to change. You don't have to repent. You don't have to let Jesus come into your life and wreak havoc. They're wrong. God loves you enough just the way you are, but he doesn't leave you the way you are. He takes you and he transforms you and he changes you into his image. And that's what the process of surrender is about. But people don't just betray Jesus with a kiss. You know, Peter when Jesus, or when Judas betrays Jesus with a kiss, and they, the multitudes are with him. That's, a, that's an interesting tidbit. G Judas comes. Judas comes with the multitudes. Because it's, it, there's always a crowd when it's easy. You know, the old Staples commercial, push the easy button. It's always a crowd when it's easy. <laughs> but the multitudes come, and they take Jesus away. And you know what Peter does? It says he follows at a distance to see how it's going to turn out. That's what words. To see how it's going to turn out, he follows at a distance. And that's what some of us do with, with our, our faith and our relationship with Jesus. We follow him at a distance to see how it's going to turn out. Like we want to be close enough so we can still be identified with Jesus. 
we want to have that bumper sticker on our car, but we want to be far enough off to where if things get ugly, we're not caught in the crossfire. Healthy, you know, football terms, you know, you got to give them that, that, that little cushion. You know, I, I, played, I played safety in, in high school football, and when I played safety, I could always tell if somebody was faster than me. And listen, there were some boys that were faster than me. But they couldn't catch it on me. Sometimes they could. Sometimes they were just way better than me. But I digress. But most of the time, they couldn't catch it on me because what I would do is I would gauge how much faster they were after the first or second play, and I would realize how much of a cushion I had to give them to be able to keep up with them. Some, some guys, it was five yards. I could be right up close to them, and I, they wouldn't outrun me. Some guys, it was 10 yards. You know, they were a little bit faster than me, so I needed to give a little bit of a head start to myself so I could keep up with them. Some guys, it was like 15, 20 yards. Like, this guy's going to smoke me. And when, as soon as he takes off that line, he's going to be way past me, so I've got to back up further. The point is, is that cushion was to keep me safe. And that's what Peter was doing. He, he was keeping himself safe. He was following Jesus just far enough off to where if it turned out favorably for Jesus, he's right there and he can get in on, the, on the, the reward. But if it turns out bad for Jesus, he's far enough away where he's not going to be caught in the crossfire. And unfortunately, that's the way that some people walk out and live their Christian life is they stay close enough to Jesus so that way, you know, if things start to pan out, they can feel like, well, I've prayed the prayer. I, you know, I'm a member of such and such church, and so they're following close enough so they can get on some of that good. But if it turns out bad and they start openly persecuting Christians, they got plausible deniability. <laughs> I ask you, do you have plausible deniability? And then it goes on and he ends up getting called out because I guess he was a little too close. <laughs> the first time he gets called out, she's like, hey, you were with Jesus. And he says, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what you're talking about. And he moves. He goes outside. He gets further away. <laughs> I got a little bit too close. They were starting to ask questions. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm going to go further away. A little bit too close. And then they ask him again. And it says this time he swears with an oath. I don't know the man. See, the first time I don't know what you're talking about. Now it's outright denial. I don't know the man. And then the third time, they say, hey, you are with Jesus. Your speech betrays you. Like your speech lets us know that you are with Jesus. And he starts cussing and cursing. <laughs> I guess he doesn't sound like he's been with Jesus anymore. <laughs> I don't know the man. And then it says he locks eyes with Jesus. And he realizes and remembers the prophecy. And he runs away weeping bitterly. You know, when I was reading the passage to prepare for today, I actually had tears come down my eyes because it says when they arrest him, it says all his disciples forsook him and fled. All of them. And Mark's account, Mark ran right out of his clothes. Like, he ran away naked. I'll leave everything I got. I ain't getting caught in this. And you got him streaking out the garden. <laughs> that was a funny, probably a funny sight. But I can't even imagine. <laughs> Late, early in the morning, you got somebody just outside the Getsmany, and you see this young teenage boy streaking <laughs> like a comet, naked as a jaybird running out. But... <laughs> But they were getting out of Dodge. They all left Jesus. Every one of them. That's betraying Jesus with a kiss. That's being in Christianity because of what it's in it for you. See, that's the way it starts. I'm being honest. If there isn't anything good in Christianity, why be a part of it? It has to start with what's in it for you. I mean, it has to. You have to come to the recognition of there's something I can get out of this to even join in, to even want to join in. Right? Who here started their Christian walkout because, oh, I can die for something? I'm in. I mean, who started their Christian walk because it says, oh, take up your cross? Yes. Self-denial, that's what I'm about. No, 
You start Christianity out because you realize that God loves you. There's something in it for you. God. (laughs) But it doesn't end with that. It doesn't end with what's in it for you. It ends with the relationship between you and God. God and you. And where we get this thing twisted is we become man-centered and not God-centered. That's why I started this thing off with God loves you. He gave it all for you. But guess what? It's this wonderful paradox. It's still not about you. It's about God who gave it all. The whole thing is centered on God. And where we get twisted is we get over here and betray Jesus with a kiss because we're so concerned about what we want and about our comfort and about our preferences and about what's in it for us. We don't want to be a Christian if it's going to cost us. I'll stay close enough so that when Christianity becomes popular again, I can jump right in and say I've been here the whole time. Kind of like Alabama fans, you know. (laughs) Nick Saban starts winning. I'm going to be right there. I've been a Bama fan the whole time. (laughs) Anyway, I don't know why I've got so many football references this morning. I'm sorry. I didn't even watch football yesterday. I shouldn't have football references. But but anyway... That's bandwagon fans. You stay close enough to where when, when it starts going in favor, you're, you're right there in the mix. But you're still far enough away to be safe. But that's not the only betrayal. The other betrayal is still exemplified by Peter. You know, I love Peter. I say this all the time. I love Peter because he was an idiot. Like, you got to love a good idiot. I mean, you just do. <laughs> but P- Peter was an idiot. And Judas, we know Judas... He sold, he sold Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. We know that. But he only had one area of idiocy. Peter, he doesn't just, he's like, if I'm going to mess up, I'm going to do it right, and I'm going to get in all the mess. That's kind of like me. If, like, if we're going to make trouble, let's just make everything trouble and chaos. So he doesn't just betray Jesus with a kiss and his three denials and far, following far enough off where he's safe or whatever. No. He, he pulls out a sword and starts hacking at people, trying to cut their head off. <laughs> Listen, Peter was not a skilled swordsman. He wasn't going for the ear. He was, he was going for the head. I, I just, I believe that. I believe he was just swinging chaos, scared half to death, and he just happened to cut Malchus's ear off. And he cuts his ear off. And Jesus says, put the sword up. For those that live by the sword, die by the sword, right? And all those that take up the sword shall also die by the sword. And Jesus puts his ear back on and heals Malchus. And see what we do, this word, this Bible, this is a fancy Bible. You know, this is the Bible I started my ministry out of. It was, and it was falling apart. So Faith and I personally rebounded ourselves yesterday. We did a pretty good job, didn't we? Anyway, but uh, (laughs) this Bible is a sword. Ephesians 6, it's the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Hebrews 4, 12, the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It's a sword. And what we do is we take this thing. You know, this Bible's got some history. One time I was preaching and I threw it at somebody. <laughs> um, yeah, but anyway, we take this Bible and we pull it out of our sheath and we start just cutting people down don't we we just start hacking at people you're homosexual you don't come to church enough you don't pay tithes am I wrong how dare you say a cuss word how dare you go to that place take that drink smoke that say that do that don't we How dare you get in that relationship? We take this thing like a sword and we just start swinging at people. You know what we do? We're trying to cut their head off. Jesus is the head. We're trying to just sever them clean from the head. Whether we realize it or not, that's what we're trying to do. But we end up cutting their ear off. And without ears, you can't hear. 
And we end up, in our effort to swing this Bible, we end up cutting people's ear off, and then they can't hear the truth of the gospel anymore. And that's just as much of a betrayal to the person of Jesus Christ and to the witness of who Christ has called us to be as if we were betraying him with a kiss. We're on one extreme or the other. We're over here and we're so religious and so legalistic and so traditional and so big bullies with Bibles cutting people's ears off. Or we're over here and we're so greasy, grace, sloppy, agape, anything goes, conduct doesn't matter, holiness doesn't matter. We're over here dancing and having a good time. And I don't even know the man. And they're right. They don't know the man. They don't know Jesus. But neither do they. Jesus says a false balance is an abomination for the Lord. And we go from one ditch to the other. We see these people over here. The religious, those that are with Mr. Soicky, Stoekion, spirit of religion. Those that are with Mr. Soicky, the spirit of religion, cutting people down, killing people with the Bible, running around, just calling everybody out, spewing hate and venom from behind the pulpit. Hellfire and brimstone, nothing else. Don't know nothing about the love of God. So in aversion to this, because we get disgusted with this, we run over here and we start ministries that are just about hippie love. Listen, I like hippie stuff. The colors are cool. Mystery machine. Scooby-Doo. That's, that's my jam. But we start this. Love is all. God is love. So God would mar- Jesus would march in the pride parade nonsense. No, he wouldn't. No, he wouldn't. He was a Torah-believing Jew, which has expressed things said against homosexuality. He wouldn't walk in that. He wouldn't support that nonsense. And so then we're over here and we realize that this prosperity gospel, health, wealth, and gladness, that this is nonsense and it's no more scriptural than the religiosity. So we end up bouncing back over here and we're like a ping pong ball. We're bouncing between the two and we don't know which category to be in. And Jesus is standing right in the middle saying, the truth is right here. It's a balance between the two. That's why Jude tells us. How many of you guys have read the book of Jude? How many of you guys make the book of Jude a regular part of your scriptural reading? <laughs> it's, it's one of the unknown books because it's only got 20 something verses in it right before Revelation most of us we know that there's a book of Jude because we're on our way to the book of Revelation and we just happen to see oh hey Jude <laughs> singing Beatles song you know <laughs> anyway um, <laughs> but anyway Jude he says this he says of some save with compassion Making a difference. And others with fear, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. It's both. And you know what? We're supposed to have discernment to know which one to use at which time. But you want to know what is one of the most lacking spiritual gifts in the church? Discernment. We talk about tongues, we talk about healing. We talk about working of miracles. We talk about prophecy, words of knowledge, words of wisdom. We talk about all of those wonderful gifts, interpretation. But the discerning of spirits is lost in the church. That's why somebody can stand up over here being a proponent of the prosperity gospel and say one heretical thing after another and 90% of their teaching is okay, 10% is heresy. And we tote them out like they're generals of the faith. I could name names of people that have said something that will make all of our hair curl. And if our hair's curly, it'll make it straight. <laughs> but then we also got people over here that are just hating everybody, and they're all under the guise of Satan, and they think that they're doing the Lord a service, and they're not. They're just a false witness, and they're betraying Jesus with a kiss or with a sword. <laughs> the group over here, you know what they say? The Bible says, don't judge me. Only God can judge me. Can I tell you something? Can I break something down? This group over here is all about judgment. This isn't a problem for them. This group, this group over here, they're like, don't judge me. The Bible says, don't judge. Can I tell you something? The Bible does not tell you not to judge. The Bible does not tell you not to judge. And how many of you guys are thinking of Scripture right now that goes against what I just said? You're probably thinking of Jesus 
Judge not, lest you be judged. For whatsoever measure you judge, the same measure shall be meted out to you. Right? Right? What comes after that? He says, why do you say to your brother, take the beam out of your own eye, or take the moat out of your own eye, or out of his eye, when you have a beam in yours? Let me ask you something. The following of that is, first take the beam out of your own eye, and then you can see clearly to behold the moat or the speck that's in your brother's eye. How do you know there's a speck in their eye if you're not making a judgment call? And James, he says, judge not lest you be judged. You don't know what the Bible's actually teaching? Because we have this problem where we say, and over time, a word changes its meaning. A word changes its meaning. See, we can get into words that have equivocal meaning or ubiquitous meaning <laughs> or unequivocal. Equivocal, unequivocal meaning or analogical meaning. Meaning that whatever context they're in, it could be the same word and the same definition no matter what context it's in. Or it could be a different word depending on the context. Or it could be a different word every time it's used regardless of the context. That's why when you say, hey, this book is bald. Has anyone ever heard that? This book is bald, it means it's boring. That's not the same as saying, hey, (laughs) Chuck is bald. It's not boring, it's just you don't have hair. Two different meanings. And see, when we talk about judged, Jesus is not talking about making a judgment call because in that same passage, that same teaching, he says, you will know them by their fruit. How do you know them by their fruit? Unless you judge what kind of fruit it is. You have to make a judgment call. You have to make an assessment. Oh, that's good fruit. That's bad fruit. Guess what? That's a judgment. It's impossible not to judge. If you were to go a whole day without making a judgment, you'd die before the day was out. You know how I know? You pull up to a, uh, or you're driving, and there's a light, a stoplight. It's red. I have to make a judgment call to stop at this red light. Or I can keep going and see what happens. <laughs> like the grandma off Milan. This cricket's lucky. In the <laughs> anyway. Anyway. You, have to ma- you live your life making judgment calls. Somebody walks up to you. You have to make a judgment call. If anybody has ever taken any courses in self-defense, it is imperative that you learn to make judgment calls of whether or not someone poses an imminent threat to you and your family. I judge every one of y'all when y'all walk through the door. Hey. (laughs) Sometimes it's good. You look nice today. I don't know what you were thinking with that coat. I'm, just <laughs> I'm serious. I kind of, I'm serious. <laughs> that came out wrong. That came out wrong. But you have, to, you have to judge. You have to. It's impossible not to. But you know what the Bible's actually teaching? It's teaching about what you do with that judgment once you make it. It's teaching... Do you allow that judgment to produce in you a desire to bring them to the truth, to help administer conviction, to encourage, to correct? Or do you let that judgment produce the spirit of condemnation and you become a proponent of toxic shame? That's what the Bible's teaching. When you make a judgment, are you walking over here condemning them, cutting people's heads and ears off with swords? Are you over here saying, I'm not going to make a judgment call because it doesn't matter? Like both of those are wrong. No, you're supposed to make a judgment call and then allow that judgment to produce a desire to help them. How can you help someone if you don't judge that they need to be helped? If you look at somebody and they're emaciated and their ribs are showing and their cheeks are sunken in and they have the big round bags under their eyes, Do you not make a judgment call? This person hasn't had a meal in a long time. Is that sinful? No. It's making a judgment. You could say, well, let me pull my sword out. You could pull your sword out and say, well, you're probably just hungry because you've been guilty of purchasing and consuming illegal drugs and your situation is your own fault and if you would repent and go go back to God and da 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 and tear them down or you could say 
Depart in peace, be ye warm and filled. <laughs> Notwithstanding, you don't give them the things with needful body. Like, both of those are wrong. But if you make the judgment call and then you give them the things that they need, then you're in a place to actually show them the truth about who Jesus is. It's about being a witness. And so this whole thing started off with the love of God from Romans 8. How much are you worth? How much God was willing to pay for you? But see, when we get off in one category or the other, we distort other people's esteem of themselves. We do. When we fail to realize God loves us, which should be the easy part, although some of us struggle with that. Somebody, at least one person in here needs to be reminded, God loves you. God loves you. I started off with that, and I'm not going to forget that. God loves you. Let him love you. Quit putting walls up, saying you're unlovable. Who's a liar, you or God? Not God. Not God. So if you say, I'm unlovable, and God says, I love you, you're calling God a liar. Don't want to be in your shoes. Repent of that nonsense and let God love you. But the second thing is, is out of that, we need to learn to love other people better. And we suck at it because we're stuck in one of these two categories. And I hear people debate all the time, back and forth, back and forth. Don't judge me. Go to hell. <laughs> people, do, they're back and forth. How many people crunched up when I said that four-letter word? <laughs> it's in the Bible. I'm allowed. <laughs> There's other words in the Bible I could say, too. I got the King James Version. But I don't. I'm just saying. I could say some stuff, but I, I spare you. I spare you. Don't tempt me. <laughs> anyway, anyway, we get stuck in these two categories and we misrepresent Jesus. We misrepresent Jesus. And I'm telling you, church, you have to love other people. I don't care what they've done to you. I don't care what they've done to your friends. I don't care what they've said against God. If God's willing to forgive them, you should be too. Love one another. Quit cutting people down with a sword. Quit pretending that conduct and holiness doesn't matter. Neither one of those are a good representation of Jesus. And if we're called to be a witness to the light, we have to understand what it is the light is witnessing in us. And Jesus is telling us that he loves you and he loves them. And because he loves you and because he loves them, and you look at yourself and realize, dang, I didn't deserve that, then you shouldn't make them deserve it either. And that's where we get guilty. Is God loves us for free. Freely you've received, freely give. God loves us for free. We don't deserve it. And we're willing to accept that what we don't deserve. But then we're like, well, they need to do better. They need to earn it. And it's like, no, you don't earn your salvation. You don't earn God's love. God loves you. And then that love changes you and flows out of you and produces good works. You work from, not for. You work with. Amen. <coughs> All right. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for an opportunity to be in your house. Lord, I just pray right now. Lord, whoever, whoever the person was or the individual was or is that needs to be reminded that you love them, God, I pray that you overwhelm them with a fresh revelation of your love that they can feel it that it's something that's tangible not just something that is abstract theoretical knowledge but something that becomes an actual experience lord your word says that we need to forgive one another as you've forgiven us we need to love one another as you've loved us. 
God, I want us to be carriers of love. And to be honest, God, I don't even know how to pray through this. God, I pray that if I didn't say anything that needed to be said, Lord, that you would speak it to their hearts now. Lord, don't let anyone leave here not knowing you, not experiencing your love. Don't let anyone leave here stuck in either rut, the rut of judgment or the rut of betraying Jesus with a kiss or with a sword. Lord, have your way in this house. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys are dismissed. God bless.